Good morning. Morning. I'm Wendy, as I've said. Um, I'm here with my husband, Malcolm. We, we regularly come here and have for a number of years. Um, this morning, we're going to be continuing on with uh, Luke, looking at Luke. Um, and then I'm quite excited about this next passage because I really love patterns and themes. And this next passage has two stories um, out of six in total that are in Luke about the Sabbath. Um, and most of them feature the Pharisees. In fact, four of them. And the two we're going to look at features the Pharisees and uh, teachers of the law. Um, and pretty much four of those six stories tell us the same thing. They, they have the same lesson. They try, Jesus is trying to tell the Pharisees something. So if it's four times in Luke, I think it's um, a lesson that Jesus really wanted the Pharisees to learn. So as we've been going through Luke, we've heard quite a lot about the Pharisees so far. Um, and... As Colin said, the Pharisees were interested in keeping the law unpolluted and pure, keeping the faith pure. And all credit to them. They weren't like the Essenes, which were another uh, religious group of that time, who ran off into the desert when the Romans came, and they attempted to keep the faith pure out there. But the Pharisees stayed within society and attempted to keep everybody on track. And when it came to the Sabbath, they had it all sorted. There'd been years of perfecting what the Sabbath should look like. God had said to them, observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy, and on it you shall not do any work. And they had really run with that. The commandment from God not to work was there, but, they, but work wasn't actually defined um, so it's a bit like um, in New Zealand we, we can be prosecuted for reckless driving or dangerous driving and there's actually quite big fines and even prison terms um, for that. But what is reckless driving? We have a whole lot of rules and, and laws around what that is. Drive on the left hand side of the road, uh, don't follow too closely and so it goes on, speed limits and so forth. So those rules help us define what reckless driving is. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had made some, some rules and, and helped define what work was on the Sabbath. So the Sabbath was a defining marker. It was one of the chief badges of identity for God's people. So let's have a look at the two different stories in our passage in Luke 6. Luke 6, chapter one, uh, verse 1. Chapter 6, verse 1. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? The Pharisees were using the Sabbath as a measuring stick. Does Jesus measure up to what the Sabbath, should, what, what the laws say? Jesus, uh, the story carries on. Jesus answered them, 
Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So in response to the Pharisees' query, Jesus points to David, and he points to, a, to an account in 1 Samuel 21. David has just discovered that King Saul is after him. He's in mortal danger. His loyal friend, Jonathan, has told him, who happens to be the king's son, and they have wept together, and then David has run. And he runs to Nob, a place, and to the tabernacle, and to the priest Ahimelech, sometimes called Abimelech. David was in need, and he asked for food for himself. They were hungry. He asked for food for himself and his companions. But the only food that was in the tabernacle was the bread of the presence, which was reserved only for priests. New loaves of bread were placed every week, every Sabbath, in fact, on a gold table, and they symbolized God's presence. Twelve loaves in all. And there was nothing in the letter of the law that allowed the bread to be given to anyone else but Abimelech, but the priests. But Abimelech, or Ahimelech, knew that the law was given to further life, and that the spirit of the law, the underlining meaning of the law, demanded that the feeding of the needy was put ahead of ritual when there was any conflict. So the needy were put ahead of ritual. So we'll come back to this theme in the second story. But Jesus also pointed out by referring to David that there's actually parallels between himself and David. David had already been anointed king um, when he was a young boy, but he wasn't yet king because King Saul, in actual fact, because King Saul was, was king. Um, David was traveling around, and he was traveling around with a ragtag group of followers, uh, waiting for the time when he would be appointed king of Israel, would actually come about that he would be king of Israel. Um, and this speaks volumes of Jesus too. He too, as Luke tells us in Luke 1, was the anointed king of Israel, the son of David, um, and he too was waiting for a time when his kingship would come true. He too was on the move with an odd group of followers. And Jesus tells us he has the authority. He has the authority to remind the, the Pharisees what the meaning of the Sabbath actually is, was. He has the authority to say the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Okay, let's carry on to the second story. On the Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching. 
And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everybody. So he got up and stood there. The Pharisees and the teacher of the law are becoming more hostile now. And they were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. And in this instance, the Sabbath was their weapon of choice. The Pharisees were watching closely, but Jesus was not going to do anything in secret. He asked the man to actually stand up in front of everybody. And he asks a question himself. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked round at them and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with, each, with one another what they might do to Jesus. So Jesus puts this question in terms that they understand, doing words, uh, what to do good or to do evil. Because the Pharisees were all about action, all about doing words. In fact, rather they were more about not doing. But the point of inaction, Jesus here is saying that inaction is not acceptable. He is asking, what is the Sabbath really about? What's the underlying meaning of the Sabbath? The Pharisees actually knew this because uh, we see at the beginning of the Good Samaritan story, um, further on in Luke, a teacher of the law asked Jesus, what must I do to receive eternal life? And Jesus comes back at him with a question saying, What's written in the law? How do you read it? The lawyer then sums up the entire law um, like this. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Of course, the lawyer goes on to question, who is my neighbor? But it's interesting, they, they knew the underlying meaning of what the law was all about. Another example, in Luke 16, um, Jesus tells the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Um, if you remember that Lazarus had sat at the gate all his life um, with nothing, an abject poverty, sat at the gate of the rich man's house, and the rich man had done nothing, not even given him the crumbs off, off his table. And they both die. The rich man ends up in Hades, and Lazarus is taken to the arms of Abraham. When the rich man sees what has happened, and, and he wants Abraham to send Lazarus to um, warn his five brothers. And this is what Abraham says. They have Moses 
and the prophets. Let them listen to them. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. From the law and the prophets, they should know that they cannot neglect love, justice, and mercy. Luke really wants to make this point. Twice more in the gospel, as I said at the beginning, um, he heals somebody on the Sabbath, and each time um, the Pharisees challenge him. They say, why can't you heal him the next day in one of the, the passages? And he could have healed them the next day. None of them were life-threatening. A shriveled hand, he was, <clears throat> was still going to be there the next day. <clears throat> he was not going to die in the meantime. Neither was the other illnesses. But he's deliberately breaking down what they have in their box, what the Sabbath looks like. But he's not destroying the box because he doesn't actually break the law. Reaching out a hand is not against the, wasn't against the Sabbath law. Neither was speaking, and he just spoke and healed the man. So that's not outside, not outside the box. But he's blowing the lid off their box. He's extending what they think the Sabbath should be like. He's looking at what does the Sabbath actually mean? What was the intention behind it? So even when the disciples pick the grain and eat it, there was actually controversy over whether that was uh, breaking the Sabbath law or not. But we see that um, the Pharisees are all about keeping the law, about containing everything within their box, about the boundaries, you should go this far and you should not go past it. And even though Jesus hasn't broken it, they're irrationally angry. Let's actually have a look at the fourth commandment. Just a quick look. Deuteronomy, this is one of two passages um, in the Old Testament that details the fourth commandment. God has commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, nor daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your ox, your donkey, or your animals, or any foreign, foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. Note that there is a great deal about who is to rest on the Sabbath, who is to not work. You, your son, your daughter, male or female servants, your ox, donkey, and other animals, any foreigners, and a special mention of the slaves for a second time, or their servants, because they were slaves, because they were to remember Egypt and what God has done. So even more importantly, it is the Sabbath to the Lord your God and to remember what he has done. It is inclusive and it's relational. The focus is on what they should do, Observe the Sabbath, not on what they should not do. 
It is not the rules that make the Sabbath special, but it is the God that created it. Um, they had focused on the minors, on regulating work. They had forgotten the majors, like love your neighbour. The Pharisees, they preserved a way of acting, but they had lost the meaning and the reason behind it. And Jesus is telling them, it's about people, it's about loving. They had defined what the Sabbath should look like, and they were holding tight to it, using it as a weapon and a measuring tape. But without knowing it, they had put chains on a beautiful thing. They had set up boundaries. What God had intended for the good of the people and his honour had become trapped within their neat little box. Sometimes it's easy for us to think that we have arrived that we have formed how we worship into a perfect model. This is how the body of Christ should look. We have the model just right. But is there one size fits all? Is what works today going to be right for tomorrow? What worked in past times, in past years, certainly wouldn't work today. Andrew Walls tells this, this great story. It's just a made-up story, but it's a great illustration. It talks about real events. Um, imagine, if you will, a, a long-living intergalactic space traveller. And this space traveller, he wants to study Earth. And he's a religious scholar, and he particularly wants to study um, Christianity over time. The first place he visits is Jerusalem in about 37 AD. All Christians at that time, he notices, almost all of them are Jews. They worship in the temple, they offer animal sacrifices, they keep the Sabbath and other rituals, they circumcise their children. They appear on the outside to be following Judaism, except for one thing. They believe that Jesus of Nazareth um, is the Messiah. They believe he was the suffering servant and the son of man spoken of in their, old, in their scriptures, in the Old Testament. And that's their primary text, the Old Testament. Families are important, they have children, they are a tightly knit community, they eat their meals together, and their lives are marked by a joyful observance of the law. So he leaves and he comes back. The next time he visits is in 325 AD, and there he finds a large gathering of Christian leaders, and he's at one of the great councils perhaps the Council of Nicaea, there are hardly any Jews. They're all mainly Greeks, some Africans. They are horrified, they would be horrified at the thought of animal sacrifices and especially circumcision. They don't have any families. Um, marriage is considered an inferior state. They don't keep 
the Sabbath on the seventh day, but the first day is important to them, the first day of the week. They call Jesus Messiah, Lord, and Son of God. And they're debating the nature of Jesus. Who is Jesus? They're fighting heresy with their words. They are concerned with theology and precision and reason and even metaphysics. 300 years later, the traveler comes again. This time, he comes to the coast of Ireland. And there are monks on a rocky coastline. Some of them are standing in water up to their necks, reciting the Psalms, freezing icy cold sea water. Some of them are standing on the coastline with their arms outspread praying. And one's actually even receiving six lashes on, the back, on his back because he didn't say amen at their last simple meal. They are into fasting. And they're also sending missionaries off in small boats to a doubtful and dangerous future with nothing except beautiful manuscripts of those same um, scriptures that, we, that both the previous groups find, have found important, um, including the New Testament as well. They have copied some of the... They, they know some of the formulas that the Greeks made, and they're important. But they're not good at metaphysics, and they're not interested in theology. Their desire is for holiness... Okay, so our space visitor now delays his visit until 1840. And then he goes to Exeter, Exeter Hall in London. Um, and there is a large room full of mainly men debating how to spread Christianity, commerce and civilization to Africa. They're, send, they're making plans for sending missionaries. They're putting into action campaigns against the slave trade. And they're concerned also about other injustices. Their faith permeates every area of their life. They also have, a, have the same book, the same holy book. And they talk about holiness but they would be aghast at the thought that holiness meant standing in icy cold water up to here. And they're relatively well-fed compared with the Irish. The last visit our space uh, traveller um, goes is to Lagos, Nigeria in 1980, and there he sees a group of people dancing in white robes, and they're dancing on their way to church, and they're calling other people to come and join them and go to church with them. They claim that God can speak to individuals and can heal. They have the same book. They fast like the Irish, but only on certain occasions, and they're not politically active like the people in Exeter Hall, they are most concerned about power through preaching, healing, and personal vision.
Each of these groups call themselves Christian, and their model or way of doing things represents their concerns in their time and place. Each time and place is cloaked in their environment in which they exist. And some, to us, may even look more like moths and butterflies. But each of these groups were the Christian heartland of their time. And each had a significant part to play in passing on the baton of Christianity. Andrew Wallace points out that the space traveller could see connections between all the different groups. Firstly, there is Jesus as Lord, as the centre of the gospel in each place, in each time and place. Secondly, there is a significance in their continuing story. They each see themselves as part of a whole story, and they have a special connection with ancient Israel. Thirdly, there is a continuity in the use of the sacred scriptures, in the use of water for baptism, and in the use of wine and bread. And we would hope that if he had spent time, longer time, in each of those communities, he would have noticed their love for God and, their, and for others as a core, the core of their community, a core of their community. And that that love for God and for others in each time and place um, is is um, tangibly reflected in sacrifice and carrying the cross. So as we move forward as a church in our time and place, in our environment, let us remember that it is not about preserving a particular form or way of doing things, but it is about being the way. It's not about preserving boundaries, but it's about preserving the core issues that Jesus, by his birth and life, showed us how to love God and others, and by his death and resurrection, saved us. Let's focus on why we do things, the meaning behind things, and let's let Jesus blow the lid off our box and let the butterfly out. Karen, if you could come up. <laughs>